Georgie? The blackest eyes, the devil's eyes. Come with me if you want to live. Hello and welcome to Direct to Nowhere, the section of the Road to Nowhere podcast in which we invite a guest on to discuss one of their favourite directors and just have a chat about three of their favourite movies. Uh, today I'm delighted to be joined by stand-up, uh, TV personality, <laughs> podcaster, uh, Mark Nelson. How are you doing, Mark? I'm all right, I'm all right, man. The jack of all trades there, like, so. <laughs> well, You've been on the telly, you're on uh, oh, Adam Miller's uh, BBC podcast. Aye, ah, podcast, yeah, I did the podcast. Yeah, got my own podcast. Aye, so yeah. I suppose I am. Aye, there you go. Um, so you've got, uh, you've, as you said, you've got your um, my perfect playlist. How's that been going for you? It's been good, man. I've I've not like I've not kept up as religiously as I probably should have because mm. I never realised the amount of actual work that went into doing a podcast. <laughs> uh, so I should like because I because I, I I edit it myself and it takes it takes a long long time. And then booking the guests and all that kind of stuff. And the thing is, I really enjoy it when I'm doing it. So I've tried. I'm, I've I released a new one. It's almost like the second series of it. Mm. The first one of that uh, last week. Yeah. So I'm going to try for now on to be more disciplined with it. Yeah. Because I really do. I, I absolutely love doing it. So mm-hmm. I, I'm the same as yourself. Like I edit. Uh, I just do the editing myself, and I really hate it. Like oh, it's, <laughs> it's so mind And I'm not one of these ones that can sit and have music on or have something else on while editing so i've just got oh. to sit and redo all that it's insane. yeah 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 yeah. it takes ages it's quite it's quite a, it's quite a novelty at the start mm-hmm. we're like cutting out tiny wee bits and getting rid of it but see after a while it just becomes proper mind-numbing yeah obviously you're kind of main vacation you're a stand-up um yep how's it been kind of coming out of the pandemic the other side or whatever stage we're in with it now getting back getting performing live it's been it's been nice. I mean, it, it was it was amazing at the start when everything opened up. Can I God? What would it be about last last June, July? Um, it was fantastic because there was such a nice atmosphere and feeling from audiences because they'd been cooped in for so long and hadn't been able to go anything. Yeah. So there was a there was a genuine kind of camaraderie with the audience and us on stage, mm. and I mean, like everybody was loving it, and then that dissipated very quickly and <laughs> some audiences became arseholes again uh, but it's uh, but yeah I mean it's been great it feels like I mean particularly because I do most of my stuff down in England and mm-hmm. with there it feels like if it honestly feels like there never was a pandemic mm-hmm. at some point yeah. because obviously I work mostly Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday nights some of the Friday and Saturday nights I mean it's genuinely right back to normal and it was like that very very early on as well mm-hmm. That's good to hear. Um, mm. I've not managed to get to any stand-up since then, just work commitments and oh. family life and all that, but I'm hoping to maybe catch a wee bit at the fringe this year. Oh. Um, is Have you had any like lockdown COVID-related heckles that have? I assume you have. Have you had any that's kind of stand out? Uh, what do you mean, like heckles since they've gone back live? Yeah, even if they've said, oh, I don't know, I, I'm not a heckler, so where the fuck have you been or something? I don't know. <laughs> uh, nah, no, really, no, really. Um, it was interesting when we first came back as to whether we could even talk about the 
the lockdown and stuff like that, because it was that kind of that kind of sense. It was mostly promoters were worried about if when we came back, if we talked about it, folk were trying to forget it. Yeah, and then you also then kind of go, well, what, what the fuck do you want me to talk about? Like I've literally done nothing else for the past two years. Mm. So when you're a kind of observational comic that talks about stuff that goes on in the world, when that's all that's been going on in the world, you'd look a bit of a prick if you didn't mention it. So, mm-hmm. uh, so I that that was the weirdest thing. And then you can still do, but you like there's some kind of jokes about COVID and the lockdown now that you can really tell are aging, mm. and you need to kind of now sift out your set to be honest right at least i mean we've we've always got something with the tories that'll always get you kind of that's the thing. exactly <laughs> exactly exactly i never want them voted out because this is absolutely <laughs> gold mines <laughs> um aye, it's been <laughs> interesting the past couple of days um you've just released your first stand-up kind of recording on youtube yeah. as well i watched that this yeah. year it was excellent and <laughs> was, that quite, uh, um, was it quite a Nervous experience for you having that going out as it did? Yeah, it was actually. It's proper nerve wracking because it's like, I don't, it's like, because no, no, I mean, nobody buys comedy DVDs at all anymore. Mm. And uh, nobody buys DVDs much anymore. And yeah, that TV doesn't hugely, like, British TV doesn't hugely have a lot of uh, stand up on it, like, mm-hmm. in terms of long form stand up. I mean, you'll yeah. get live at the Paul and stuff, but even that now. Used to be comics would get twenty minutes on that, and now they've now it's six. They each get yeah. six minutes, which is ridiculous. And uh, and then you've got Netflix and stuff like that. But Netflix is really reserved for the massive mm. stadium acts. Yeah. So there's that. There was this kind of place for like like regular comedians and circuit comedians as to where you could put out this kind of stuff. Mm-hmm. And a hell of a lot of people now just put it on YouTube because it's that kind of way that it's. There's no, you're not, you're not, because I mean, I completely funded it myself, mm-hmm. and uh, and it was kind of the Americans that started it. It was guys like Andrew Schultz and stuff like that that started putting them out, and then suddenly they were getting a massive, massive fan base because it's available to everybody. Yeah. And what and it, it, it's kind of what I would like. It's kind of what I think is the ideal way of promotion because I think word of mouth, like when you get to the fringe, word of mouth sells far more tickets than any PR you could pay for. Yeah. Because people trust each other and they trust their pals and they trust folk that they know. So that was the same kind of thing with the special. Like it's just like that it's it's completely free to watch. Mm-hmm. And all that I ask is that if folk have enjoyed it, you either share it on social media or you tell somebody about it. Yeah. Like I don't know, do like any parents? Your parents, yeah, did you have to do homeschooling? Yeah, how God, how did you find it? You put them back to school. Yeah, yeah. Key worker. Yo, you're key worker. <laughs> key workers. Good, uh, yeah. Taxi, right. A f- taxi driver and runs a food bank. Right, for fuck's sake, I can't really come back to that, can I? Like, uh... Well, no, like, I- I've already said you can heckle as much as you want, but I didn't expect the fucking food bank thing. I mean, for God's sake, like... Like, I've already gone key worker. She's feeding the poor, for Christ's sake. Like, it's practically Marcus Rashford in the front row here. Like, like. So, uh, and then that's, that has worked out quite well. And, yeah, a hell of a lot of, like, some of the best comedians in the country are doing that now. So Yeah. You're the first one I've kind of, that 
is kind of in my awareness of doing it just mm. that's because as I said I kind of <clears throat> I fell off the kind of keeping up to date with my, my stand up yeah. recently um, and yeah as you're saying it's getting a word of mouth getting the, the kind of a uh, can increase your following. I remember it used to be yeah. like um, every Christmas there would be the DVDs came out and you yeah. a couple of DVDs, but now that just doesn't happen. So yeah, it certainly yeah. seems like a, a good way to go. Yeah, I think it's an attention span thing as well. Hmm. Um, I think a lot of a lot of folk a lot of folk wouldn't sit down and watch an hour long stand up DVD, and a lot of folk won't watch an hour long stand up even on YouTube mm-hmm. unless you've already put out wee clips. And yes. it's those wee clips that you need to use to entice people because, like, the, the attention span of social media is so ridiculous now yeah. that it's it, it's like even even with podcasts, you'll notice like because I don't know I was starting mine before we're going like I can't it can't be any more than an hour like mm-hmm. the ideal forty five minutes people won't listen to anything longer than forty five minutes and yeah. then I was as stressed about it at the start that I kind of then went well to be honest see if nobody has the attention span of sitting for longer than 45 minutes, I don't really want them listening to the podcast anyway because it's it's not for them. Do you know what I mean? Like if yeah. you're, I just, I just hate, I hate this disposable culture we're in now mm. where if, 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 if you're not entertained by something within the first five seconds, it's just completely dismissed. Yeah. Yeah, sometimes it takes a show, like as you're saying, maybe five, ten minutes to get into a proper rhythm. Absolutely. Um, and... By that point, you're saying, yeah, the, the, the culture nowadays is, oh no, this is shite, I'm turning this off, I'm not letting yeah. to get to the point. Like there's um, the, the podcast that you were on another round, I think you're on with a few yeah. other comedians, um, and that was a long one, I think it was about an hour and 45 maybe. Yeah, it was, but it was uh, great, yeah, yeah. Like, I, I, yeah. I really enjoyed it. And But it does, you're essentially with that, you're recording the chatties are having, and that's got to build, and it's got to take yeah, time absolutely. to come in a bit more. Absolutely, yeah, yeah, and even without comics, like if you, because if, I've done a couple of the podcasts with <laughs> people that aren't comedians, mm-hmm. and it's not going to be rapid fire banter straight away. So people do it does take folk a couple of ten or fifteen minutes to get comfortable and to get the kind of flow of the thing as well. So, yeah. of course. So today we're going to talk about your favourite director. We'll come on to them in a couple of minutes. Is there a moment? really kind of early on for you that stands out in terms of cinema whether it's an experience at the cinema or watching a movie at home that just kind of has stuck with you yeah when when you asked me this i was kind of thinking about it because i mean i i've I've loved films since i was very 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 young Mm -hmm. and i've been obsessed with films and i remember like i was one of those kids where i got shown well i didn't even get shown them i watched films that were far too old for me far too young yeah. like do you know what i mean like I, like seeing like aliens and uh, the first omen film and all that kind of stuff like really 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 young robocop like fucking <laughs> blew my mind when i was a wee guy um so yeah and it was it was mostly through my grandparents because i used to go and stay with my grandparents uh yeah. for four weeks of the summer holidays because mom and dad were working and they couldn't take it off. Mm-hmm. And both of them had huge, huge videos, like video library, like just tons and tons of recorded videos where they just record films off the telly. Yeah. And uh, both were completely different. One of, my, one, of my, one of my papas, it was more like, it was more, mostly comedy films. From him, I kind of watched a lot of the Carry On films. Okay. Aye. Bizarrely. And, uh, and then the other one was a hell of a lot of classic, like a lot of classic westerns and a lot of classic war films. And I remember 
this, I, I, my probably my first memory of really loving a film was The Great Escape. Okay, right. Um, like I ad- adored that film, and I would watch that. I would watch that maybe every couple of days. Mm-hmm. Uh, which I mean, I don't know. I suppose it's a, it's quite an appealing film for a wee guy because it is this guys escaping from a concentration camp, and yeah. it's there's a lot of action. A lot of the characters are very cool. And uh, there's a lot of fantastic dialogue in it, and mm-hmm. and the theme tune's amazing. Yeah. So, uh, so yeah, I'd probably say that that particular film. I mean, there's so many. There's like wee tiny wee moments. Like I still get a kind of shiver at the very start of Back to the Future. Uh, like not even just the, even the opening credits when the, there's like a wee kind of there's a wee kind of tinkling in the score right at the start Aye. before the main theme parts and just even that I'm just like oh my god this is fantastic Kind of similar experience yourself. It was the grandparents that got me into it. Yeah. My mum and dad worked. My dad worked shifts, and my mum worked as a, a kind of a lab technician in a school. Mm. So if I finished school, I would go there, and I generally stay a wee bit longer. Yeah. And it used to be uh, just put up in the, the converted loft, stick me up in the loft with the video player. Yeah. It's usually Terminator Two. That was my first kind of one. Yeah. Yeah. It was, it was yeah. always it was always on BBC Two. So there's always yeah. a, a fresh yeah. tape of it at some point. Yeah. Um, yeah. It was the best gateway. Grandparents that didn't really give a shit what you watched. Oh, I know. I, know. I remember my. I remember my papa had a. He was the first. He was one of the first people that I'd seen that had a. You remember long play video VCRs? Yeah. So, so you, the, the, you got like, the tape sort of. Yeah, you got like a. So you get like a three-hour tape, but suddenly it was six hours. Aye. So you could ideally fit three films on one <laughs> tape. And this this blew my mind when I was younger. Like mm. it, it just it just made people like that. And so then I started when I. When we we had a video recorder, I started making this massive library of films. So I would buy like packs of five, four hour long uh, videotapes. Mm. So that, now suddenly I'm able to get like fucking eight films in the bastard. And then so I've got like, and then I had a wee lodge book where I would say the start time and the end time of every particular film. But I mean, it, it completely diluted the quality. I mean, the actual <laughs> pitch, picture and sound quality was utter shite, right. but you still had, you know, <laughs> four films and one videotape. But right. then and for years, right up until I went to uni, I was logging about this huge box of like <laughs> 360 videotapes. So right. that's why, it's why when people go, like that, that's the one thing I quite like about the digital age is the fact that, I don't, every time I move, I don't need to take <laughs> shit with me. Like, yeah. I don't have an entire, because I had I had about a thousand CDs as well. So the fact that it's all in one place now, yeah. I think it's brilliant. I was a wee bit later to getting into kind of streaming and things like that. I still don't trust streaming movies and things now. <laughs> like, if, if I really love a movie, I buy it. Like, yeah, the, yeah. Um, like 4K player, so I watch oh, things nice, through that. Um, just because it's nice having it. It's like, mm. it used to be you would get like a wee booklet and things like that, but you don't get yeah. that as much anymore. But um, aye, the, the 
digital is a lot easier. I don't have CDs or anything like that, but I can I can trust yeah. the music, but just the movies. I'm just not too sure. <laughs> the worry was for me was I heard that if you buy something on Prime, if they lose the rights to it, then you don't own it anymore. So you're technically still renting it. It's weird, like a weird. Um, All right. I I can't remember where I heard that, and I've bought a Quiet Place, the first one off a of Prime. So I've got it just. Uh, on digital on my TV mm-hmm. there's something like if they were to have a fallout with say Warner Brothers I don't know who exactly publishes that they could take they could just remove the library and you wouldn't have it shit so it's a bit odd as well like Aye. but I suppose you've, there's ways of getting around it I'm assuming Aye, right, right. <laughs> so have you got a particular as you say you're a, a, a massive film fan do you have anything particular like a favourite moment from a movie um um, I, I mean, I was tempted because my favourite film is Jaws. Okay. I think like and Jaws is the perfect, perfect film. Like, there's not one bit I would change about that. And I thought about doing the the USS Indianapolis scene because I think it's it's just it's just incredible. Like the three of them, are, the way it builds, Robert Shaw's performance in it, the whole story behind it, and then the fact that it's interrupted by the shark. Mm. I just, I just think I think it's fantastic. But then I thought about it more because I was like, that's too obvious. <laughs> and then, so what? But what I chose was um, the, the scene, Alec Baldwin's scene in Glen Gary, Glen Ross. Right. Okay. You've uh, never seen it. Actually, you've never seen it. No. So, so it's it's a David Mamet play that right. was uh, made into a film, and the character that Alec Baldwin plays isn't in the play. It was just introduced right. for the film, and it's just this one log monologue. Uh, one long monologue, one monologue, one long monologue. That's what I was trying to say. Uh, where it's about, know, about ten minutes long, where he's addressing, he's like a master salesman, and he's coming from the company at the top, and he's addressing all of these four salesmen that are struggling. You think of, you know, the wee guy in uh, the Simpsons that's always like he needs to make one sale or his wife will leave him and he'll <laughs> yeah. lose his cap. Like that, that they're ba- that's basically all the characters in right. Gary Glenn Ross, <laughs> and it is just this. It's just this tour de force hmm. cameo that he's only in it for 10 minutes and then you never hear of him again. But it's just the most captivating acting performance I think I've ever seen. Hmm. It's phenomenal. The yeah. way, like, it's just every line is delivered impeccably. The character's a piece of shit. Um, and But it, it's just the, the, the sheer strength of the delivery I just absolutely love. And it is it's one that I've watched. I've wa- I, I will search it on YouTube. Every now and again. It is 7.30. So who is that? And where's Mr. Roma? Well, I'm not a leash, so I don't know, do I? Let me have your attention for a moment. Because you're talking about what? You're talking about... Bitching about that sale you shot. Some son of a bitch don't want to buy land. Somebody don't want what you're selling. Some broad you're trying to screw, so forth. Let's talk about something important. Are they all here? All but one. Well, I'm going anyway. Let's talk about something important. Put that coffee down. Coffee's for closers only. (laughs) You think I'm fucking with you? I am not fucking with you. I'm here from downtown. I'm here from Mitch and Murray. And I'm here on a mission of mercy. Your name's Levine. 
You call yourself a salesman, you son of a bitch? I don't gotta listen to this shit. You certainly don't, pal. Because the good news is you're fired. The bad news is you've got all you've got just one week to regain your job, starting with tonight. Starting with tonight's sit. Oh, have I got your attention now? It's, I don't know why I've never seen it. Like, I've always heard about kind of performance-wise from it, but I've just never, never got around to catching it, but I definitely need to. It's an amazing cast. Mm. I mean, like, so Pacino's in it, uh, Ed Harris is in it, Kevin Spacey's in it, Baldwin, yeah. uh, Jack Lemmon. It's yeah. phenomenal, man. Mm. So speaking of amazing casts and long monologues, that's a nice segue there. <laughs> 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 um, the director you've chosen today is Quentin Tarantino. Yes. Favourite of mine as well, so looking forward to having a chat about these. Um, just a, what is your general thoughts on them, just apart from the movies we're going to discuss? Well, see, when you asked me to pick a director, I was like, T- Tarantino's like my kind of go-to, because I, I, I genuinely, he is my favourite director, and I do think, oh. in terms of in terms of body of work, and then I thought, I'm being a bit a bit too unoriginal by just going for Tarantino because it's and then because I thought about doing John Hughes yeah. as well okay. uh, but I couldn't not choose Tarantino because I, I, I mean I love every single film and I think he is an absolute master director like yeah. I think I think that, I mean because so I, I listened to some of the, your other podcasts and I mm-hmm. listened to like when uh, Adam from Old Firm okay, well, podcast he did uh, he did Rob Reiner yeah and what I loved about that was that there was different genres within it. So you had Harry Met Sally and you had uh, Misery as well. So completely different genres. The thing with Tarantino is you don't get really you, – you, you get different genres, but they are all a similar kind of type of film. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But I just think – I think the way – I think the way he crafts a story is unbelievable. I think his dialogue – I think he's the best dialogue writer in cinema history. Yeah. Um, I think – uh, his eye for a film, his use of music, I don't think anyone else has done that in cinema. No. And I think I think there is enough different about each film. And I think I love the I love the, the the evolution of from Reservoir Dogs to Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Because I think there has been a growth in terms of what he's doing now. Yeah, definitely. I just, I just think he's phenomenal, man. Mm-hmm. Yeah, in terms of script writing and everything, that is fantastic. Um, obviously, funded Reservoir Dogs, I think, by selling yeah. True Romance, wasn't it? He sold the script yeah, for True Romance, t- and nice yeah, Tony Scott directed it. Yeah. yeah, you can definitely feel the kind of the kind of sharp wit of Tarantino in that. It's edited out oh, a wee yeah. bit and kind of um, dumbed down from what he would do, but yeah. you can definitely feel it in there. And then a movie that we're not going to talk about today, but The Hateful Eight, which didn't get very well received. I absolutely no. love that. because it's yeah, taken, so do I. It's taking place in one area, pretty much, mm-hmm. and it's just loads of great actors bouncing off each other and yeah. swearing at each other and fighting yeah, each other. Yeah. It's, it's excellent. No, it's, I loved Hateful Eight as well. Mm-hmm. And um, and it's got that. I love... Uh, because like cinema should be... And films should be able to shock you and surprise you. Mm-hmm. With things, and in every every single Tarantino film, there will be at least one moment where you go, "Fuck me, I did not see that coming." Yeah, at all. Mm-hmm. Like even though I've seen Tarantino films before, I did not see that in the slightest. And hateful, it's one of the best ones where with Samuel yeah. Jackson. Mm. And I won't spoil it for people, but <laughs> it's it's one of the most shot. I'm like, Jesus Christ, I can't believe they went there. Yeah. Like it is. 
Yeah. So yeah, that, that, I love that about it. Mm-hmm. I got a part of that spoiled for me before I'd seen it. I'd missed it in the cinema. I don't know why. I always try and go and see Tarantino in the cinema now. Mm. And I just missed it. And um, basically, again, no wanting to spoil it. So someone turns up. And that was in Empire. I think they were talking about it like a month later. So it's kind of partially my fault for reading the article. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Happens in that. I was like, I didn't even see that guy in the cast. (laughs) <laughs> so that was a bit of a downer for me, but yeah, absolutely love Hateful Eight as well. So the first movie we're going on to is Pulp Fiction. Everybody be cool, this is a robbery! Any of you fucking pricks move! And I'll execute every motherfucking last one of you! <laughs> Received and uh, I think um, was it Wes Craven is quoted saying he walked out of it because it was glorifying the violence too much. Yeah, and yeah. Pulp Fiction feels like it's the one that really catapulted him that kind of extra level, isn't it? Yeah, but I mean, I think Pulp, Pulp Fiction's probably his best film. Mm. Um, it's a kind of standard Tarantino film. It was very hard not to pick Reservoir Dogs actually right, because okay. of how much I love it as a film, mm-hmm. but I just thought so. I wanted to pick one from the start, one from the middle, and one towards the end mm-hmm. and I think I, th- I just think it would be yeah, I don't think you could really discuss Tarantino without talking about Pulp Fiction because mm-hmm. it's beyond iconic now yeah it is definitely it's it's the perfect kind of blend of shock and violence yeah. and his kind of sharp humour great performances um, yeah which the kind of biggest take out I think from it maybe apart from Samuel L. Jackson but it's the chemistry uh, between mm-hmm. John Travolta and Uma Thurman, which has been yeah. tried to get recreated, I think, and was it wasn't it Get Short? Was it Get Shorty? No, it was. Uh, God, what, what film was it? The sequel, My Cousin Vinny, something like that. I can't. I, nah, I can't remember what it was. It was My a, Cousin Vinny's uh, Joe Pesci and. Ah, so it is. Aye. Yeah. But it was, it was like the sequel to Get Shorty, I think. Um, oh, right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I know what you mean. Yeah, 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 yeah. Kind of yeah. tried to recreate it, but that was kind of Travolta, I think, at his peak. And Uma Thurman quite early on in her career still, mm. if I'm, if I'm mm. remembering correctly. But he just gets, the two of them bounce off each other so well from the minute my um, Vince picks her up um, yeah. to what kind of unfolds as we go. Yeah. Well, I think it's, it's, it's that kind of genius thing that he still does where uh, it takes actors. That, I mean, like, because at that kind of time, John Travolta, so this was, it's in 94 mm-hmm. that, Pulp Fiction came out. Yeah. So Travolta at that point had kind of shot his load. Like he'd been, I mean, he'd been a huge, like an absolute megastar after Greece and Saturday Night Fever. Yeah. And then he'd kind of lost, I mean, like at this point, the previous films he'd done were like, look who's talking and look who's talking too. Yeah. So he was, I mean, he had lost a lot of the gravitas in terms of being a Hollywood leading man. Mm Mm-hmm. And then Tarantino takes him and makes him this assassin. Yeah. Uh, and even and even like Bruce Willis. I mean, Bruce Willis wasn't particularly in vogue at that kind of time as well. No. So that, that I love that about him uh, yeah. that he takes he takes what are clearly incredible actors and gives them a part 
they can actually work with. Mm-hmm. He, um, do you know what? I was a part of the uh, Travolta and uh, Uma Thurman scene with her in the diner, the Jack Rabbit Slims. Mm. I rewatched the Pulp Fiction again last week, and th- mm. that was the first time I realised that Steve Buscemi is a buddy. Steve Buscemi. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> and that's someone yeah. else that he's kind of obviously worked with in Reservoir Dogs. Yeah. Talking about this scene with the two of them, they're obviously they go out, they have their big kind of party together. Mm. And this was a bit that confused me because this is another movie I'd saw when I was very young. I'd just seen white powder that she was putting up her nose and thought she had OD'd on cocaine, but obviously it's his yeah. heroin. It's heroin, yeah, 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 yeah. This is one of the things that I think Tarantino's really great at is it doesn't shy away from things that are horrific. Like, uh, Uma Thurman's character, Mia Wallace, I've taken a blank there mm. as well, um, when she is having this overdose, it's not, and even the drug use isn't particularly glamorized as much in this. Yeah, you can see. I mean, it's certainly not glamorized at all. I mean, the, mm. the kind of I don't think he has actually ever glamorized drugs in any of his films. No. Um, the scene, I mean, I find it quite difficult. I don't find the OD scene that difficult to watch. I find it because I, 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 I don't really like needles a huge amount. <laughs> and the scene where John Travolta shoots up in the car. Mm. And because he, he, he proper closes up Aye. on the needle going into the vein, and then you see him drawing blood out, and and it's that bit I kind of go, well, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, I mean, it, it's it, it's brilliant. And what I love, do you know the? Because you know the the the, the Tarantino universe theory mm-hmm. that they're all they're all in the one universe. And Aye. so the so when he asks. Mia, because she's talking about the TV pilot that she's just made. Yeah, the Fox Force the 5. The Fox Force 5. Mm-hmm. And the characters that she describes are all the characters that are in Kill Bill. Oh, cool. I'd have even thought of that. So there's, <laughs> so there's the the Oriental Fox that is uh, a master with a sword, and then there's the one that always tells a joke, and then she has to, she's the one that always tells a joke, and then yeah. she has to tell the, the two tomatoes joke. Aye. as he Aye. drops her off. Aye. So yeah, I, I, like there's nothing I love more than films referencing other films, I fucking love it. Yeah, world building that he's then. So, oh yeah, retcon world building. But he's he's maybe seen, listened to that uh, that kind of speech that she has about the Fox Force Five, and then went, oh, I can make a movie. About that. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. That's incredible. incredible. As you go. Yeah. <clears throat> um, there's a scene in it that again gets the humour kind of spot on it, and it's bring out the gimp, yeah. um, which is quite a. Full on, it's what he does really well with the, the kind of gimp scene is it's what you don't see almost. Like, yeah. you don't see Marcellus Wallace getting well, you do kind of, see you, do, great, you do, but it's more of the thought of what's happened when you've not been the camera's not been on them, yeah. And it's that kind of worry and the the tension, which he's always great at building yeah. tension, Tarantino. It's yeah. a tracking scene as well, yeah. He does that, he does that in Reservoir Dogs really well with the torture scene. When uh, so it's very close up in the cop's face until Michael Madsen goes in to cut off the ear, yeah, and then all he does is pan the camera up to the ceiling mm-hmm. and then comes back down again, mm-hmm. and that's all he does. But it is you're right, it is that what you're not seeing is far more brutal than what you are seeing, yeah. Um, but the just just very quickly because I've just I've just remembered it. Do you know see when uh, Uma Thurman ODs mm-hmm. um, and Eric Stoltz brings her back, yeah. You know, when he... Wait, he gets George Travolta to... He gets to stab, so he to stab her in the... Do you know how they did it? No. So it was basically the the the, uh, the needle was already in her. And oh, then yeah, they just had him pull it out and then just reverse the film. All oh, right, that's quite cool. So I always thought that was quite cool. Um, 
But uh, aye, I mean, like you're right to get because that, that whole scene where the where Bruce Willis has just been uh, the apartment, and then he's mm-hmm. driving back, and then he sees Marcellus Wallace, <laughs> and that kind of look where he just goes motherfucker, <laughs> and then he, 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 and I don't know why, I don't, know, I don't know why I find it so funny, but when it, when Marcellus Wallace has been so Bruce Willis is kind of limping away because mm-hmm. he's hurt his his heart, he's cut his leg in the car crash. And then Marcellus Wallace is completely dazed because he's just been knocked down by a car. But he gets his gun out and he starts wildly shooting. <laughs> and he just hits this random woman in the leg. And I don't know why I find that so funny. But uh, And then they, they burst at uh, the... Is it, is, it a, is it a weapons store? Yeah. Is it a gun store that it is? I think it's a weapons store in? because he then yeah. goes... And when Bruce Willis, kind of, when he's looking ab- about in the store, he's got the kind of choice yeah. of weapons, isn't he? Maybe antiques weapons, but... Yeah, and then he, that's when he decides, and he's almost kind of choosing his. Yeah, because he goes like baseball bat to a chainsaw, <laughs> then to a samurai <laughs> sword, <laughs> and it's. But even like you're saying about being that age with the with the drugs references, mm. when when you realise, because I I initially thought at that time when uh, Bruce Willis breaks in and they're having the fight, and then uh, it's not Zed because Zed's the guy that turns up on the motorbike. Yeah, uh, the, the, the store uh, owner can't remember his name. I thought that was Zed because he said Zed's dead, baby. Zed's dead, and he, I think he steals his motorbike. Oh, is that Zed then? I'm sure that's Zed. Ah, uh. right. Um, and, and so when he pulls a gun on them, Aye. and then he phones up the other guy, mm. he's like, Spider, Spider's caught a couple of flies, <laughs> and then it cuts to the basement, and they're both handcuffed and they've got pool balls in their mouth. <laughs> At that time, being my age, because I was 13 when I saw that at mm. first. I had no idea what the deal <laughs> what the deal was here. Right. I just I thought they were going to get robbed. I thought they were going to get beat up, and that was it. I had no idea that what exactly the pair of them were planning. Right. The Pulp Fiction coming of age movie that we didn't know what it was. <laughs> it, it, and it, it properly because at that age, at thirteen, the idea of male rape hadn't entered my head yeah. at all. So to see that on camera was proper. Like mm-hmm. Jesus Christ! Like this is. This is unbelievable. Mm. Yeah. And again, back to that kind of humorous nature of it when Bruce Willis breaks out Marcellus Wallace and mm. they just kind of have a, a known thing between them. Marcellus Wallace is right, right, we're even. You've yeah. brought me over. Now you've helped me. Yeah. And then yeah. the door just swinging as he's yeah. approaching. And it's just yeah, perfect scene again, just to wait for it to kind of tie up. The kind of Bruce yeah. Willis story really for that point, yeah. isn't it? Yeah. There's a brilliant line in that where he's... So uh, Bruce Willis has got the guy with the sword and then he's he's freed Marcellus yeah. and then he's then left with uh, the other dude <laughs> and then he's like, he, says, he talks about he's going he's gonna to get medieval on his ass. Like, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, uh, it's a, a great performance. Ving Rhames as well. Yeah. Okay. What now? 
What now? Let me tell you what now. I'ma call a couple of hard pipe hitting niggas to go to work on the homes here with a pair of pliers and a blowtorch. You hear me talking, hillbilly boy? I ain't through with you by damn sight. I'ma get medieval on your ass. I mean, what now between me and you? Oh, that what now? I tell you what now between me and you. There is no me in you. Not no more. Um, we mentioned a wee bit earlier on about like him bringing John Travolta back. Mm. And this is really probably the moment where Samuel L. Jackson came into a lot of people's thoughts. He'd yeah. been in Jurassic Park the year before. Yeah. But it was quite a minor role. He's in Goodfellas as well. Is he in Goodfellas, is he? He's in Goodfellas. One of the guys, uh, he gets, he's like in bed. Right. And I think, I can't remember, is it, is it, it might be Joe Pesci that turns up and shoots him. Right, okay, cool. In the bed, yeah. Because mm-hmm. he's, he's part of the, he's part of the team that do the score at the airport. Right, and at that point, at that point, the three of them are like basically murdering everyone that had anything to do with it, hmm. so they don't get caught. He's one of those guys. I think he's actually in uh, speaking of true romance. I'm sure he's in true romance as well. He, he is gunned down by Gary Oldman. Yes, yes, he is. Yeah, yeah. So he's kind of like, let me say a jobber is maybe a bit harsh, but like, yeah, he'd never really been given that role to kind of get his uh-huh. teeth into. Uh-huh. And then the first kind of point you see him in this movie, he has one of the best Tarantino monologues and the best yeah. performances I think you've possibly ever seen in a Tarantino movie, yeah. despite all the greats we've had. And it's the, the big Kahuna Burger scene yeah. in the apartment. I didn't realise at the time that the, the kind of Ezekiel... Is it Ezekiel? I can't remember the, the exact Ezekiel, reference. Tw- Ezekiel 2517. Uh, he's, he's made yeah. that up, hasn't he? That's not actually a... It's it, it, it's mostly made up. Mm-hmm. There's Because I, I did the same. Like, I've since looked at it the actual right. passage in the bible and it's similar right okay but a lot of this a lot of the words aren't there like it, it has been beefed up for maximum effect mm-hmm. it's Tarantino's. My, aye um it's i just think my favorite part in that whole scene obviously there's uh him having a go at the main is the thing with the suitcase is something that always annoys me as well because there's all yeah. theories about it. I think it's in the book, maybe that it's referenced. It's maybe people's souls or something like that. Supposed to, like, it's supposed to be Marcellus's Wallace soul. Aye, right, and that's okay. why he's got the plaster on the back of his head. Right, so that's where it was taken from. Right, right, aye. It's so you never really understand the kind of full deal between these guys and yeah. Marcellus Wallace and Samuel Jackson's basically kind of chastising them for fucking them over. Mm. But it's when he takes the burger and then. The look he gives when he's just sipping his the guy's sprite, yeah, and he's kind of yeah. just like a cheery look in his eyes as he's yeah, staring yeah, him down. Yeah, 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 yeah. It's fantastic. That's mm. a brilliant, brilliant, brilliant scene. Yeah, because they're so they're so callous but so relaxed about it. And he just shoot when he just shoots the other guy, <laughs> like and he just says, "I've got your attention." Like it's like, "Oh no, uh, sorry, I'm sorry, did I break your concentration?" Break your concentration yeah, it's like, yeah. And the guy's yeah. trying to kind of. We look at his way out, yeah, yeah, yeah. Just fucking shoots his pal, he's having a a lie down in the couch. It's just, uh, it's as I said, Samuel Jackson from there, whether he still got 
the roles that he deserved is maybe kind of debatable. He was in things like Deep Blue Sea, and then I think he's yeah. always been a guy that said, if I, like if he even sees the name, I think he'd done it with Snakes on a Plane, he would just take the job if he liked the name of the movie type of yeah, thing. Yeah, yeah. Um, did he get did he get nominated for an Oscar for Pop Fiction? I think he got a Best Supporting Actor nomination. Right, okay. Um, I don't know if he won it or not. No, I don't think he's ever won an Oscar. Oh. I, think, um, I would need to double-check that, look it up, but... Um, it's just, it's just, as you said, fantastic. And he comes back later on in the kind of opening scene of the movie, but played from another angle in the diner, yeah, and yeah, it's just fantastic yeah. in that as well. It's just, I don't know. There's only so much you can say about Pulp Fiction, really, isn't there? Like, it's yeah. just a perfect movie. Um, it is, aye, it is perfect. Aye. And it again, really one of the things I remember struggling with when I was younger was how it was chopped together. Like the stories kind of interlinked. Like John Travolta gets killed, but then he's near the end of the movie again, yeah, and something yeah. that I just die. Uh, been younger, but now I'm older. It's it's just it's it's a perfect movie. Yeah, um, there would have been there would have been that many films that had that kind of timeline before that. Like Tarantino, kind of, hmm. I can't think of any that would have had a proper choppy timeline. Yeah, everything was more linear filming. Yeah, really, yeah, wasn't it? You're yeah. just that your middle, your end, your kind of yeah. your three act structure sort of thing. Mm, but yeah, mm. it's certainly um, from what I can think of. No, I can't think of any at all that would have been earlier nah. than that. And uh, he took a chance with it and it paid yeah. off massively, I think. Yeah. I mean, there would have been films with flashbacks, but, mm-hmm. yeah. but never anything that purposefully took three separate chapters and then interwove them. Yeah. Uh, yeah. yeah. And the Ezekiel thing, you're a big MCU guy, you know, it's the it's on his it's Nick Fury's fake gravestone as well, isn't it? In yes. Winter Soldier. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Cold it's so class. I know. The Tantino verse exists inside the MCU. Your ass ain't talking your way out of this shit. No, no, no. I just want you to know how. I just want you to know how sorry we are that that things got so fucked up with us and and Mr. Wallace. When we we got into this thing with the best intentions, really. I never. Oh, I'm sorry. Did I break your concentration? I didn't mean to do that. Please, continue. You were saying something about best intentions? What's the matter? Oh, you were finished? Oh, well, allow me to retort. What does Marcellus Wallace look like? What? What country are you from? What? What? What ain't no country I ever heard of. They speak English in what? What? English, motherfucker. Do you speak it? Yes. Then you know what I'm saying. Yes. Describe what Marcellus Wallace looks like. What? Say what again. Say what again. I dare you. I double dare you, motherfucker. Say what one more goddamn time. He's, he's black. Go on. He's bald. Does he look like a bitch? What? Does he look like a bitch? No! Then why you try to fuck him like a bitch, Brett? Yes, you did. Yes, you did, Brett. You tried to pick. And my Sarah Wallace don't like to be fucked by anybody except Mrs. Wallace. You read the Bible, Brett? Yes. Well, there's this passage I got memorized. Sort of fits this occasion. Ezekiel 25, 17. The path of the righteous man is beset on all sides by the inequities of the selfish and the tyranny 
of evil men. Blessed is he who in the name of charity and goodwill shepherds the weak through the valley of darkness. For he is truly his brother's keeper and the finder of lost children. And I will strike down upon thee with great vengeance and furious anger those who attempt to poison and destroy my brothers. And you will know my name is the Lord when I lay my vengeance upon thee. <laughs> so, moving on, uh, I would say it's kind of the way I think of this next movie and Glorious Bastards. It's almost like he starts going into a sort of fairy tale mode, Tarantino, in his storytelling. Um, we can go again. We'll, we'll just wax lyrical about every cast he has because he just he attracts yeah. the, the the best actors going at the minute. For me, this was the first time I had heard of Christoph Waltz. So yeah, never, yeah, same. Never heard no. of him. No. Um, so basically, Inglorious Bastards is kind of covert ops of American Jews yeah. who are scalping Nazis, trying to take them down from a more uh, subtle way than on the front line type of war. Yeah. Um, and it opens with, again, monologues from Tarantino. Christoph Waltz just absolutely owns this. Um, from his, it goes from a kind of intimidating to playful to a friendly nature, yeah. just at the drop of a hat at every point, and it always changes yeah. between them. But his eyes are always really striking and sharp and cold to an extent. Yeah. I just think it's fantastic from him. I, I remember being just kind of jaw on the floor type moment when I seen it in the cinema. Are you aware of the nickname the people of France have given me? I have no interest in such things. But you're aware of what they call me? I'm aware. What are you aware of? Are you the John too? Precisely. I understand your trepidation in repeating it. Heidrich apparently hates the moniker the good people of Prague have bestowed on him. Actually, why he would hate the name the hangman's baffling to me. It would appear he's done everything in his power to earn it. I, on the other hand, love my unofficial title precisely because I've earned it. The feature that makes me such an effective hunter of the Jews is, as opposed to most German soldiers, I can think like a Jew, where they can only think like a German. <laughs> More precisely, a German soldier. <laughs> now, if one were to determine what attribute the German people share with a beast, there would be the cunning and the predatory instinct of a hawk. But if one were to determine what attributes the Jews share with the beast, it would be that of the rat. The, the Führer and Goebbels' propaganda have said pretty much the same thing. But where our conclusions differ is I don't consider the comparison an insult. Consider for a moment the world a rat lives in. It's a hostile world indeed. If a rat were to scamper through your front door right now, would you greet it with hostility? 
I suppose I would. Has a rat ever done anything to you to create this animosity you feel toward them? Rats spread disease to bite people. Rats were the cause of the bubonic plague, but that's some time ago. I propose to you any disease a rat could spread, a squirrel could equally carry. Would you agree? Right. Yet I assume you don't share the same animosity with squirrels that you do with rats, do you? No. Yet they're both rodents, are they not? And except for the tail, they even rather look alike, don't they? It's an interesting thought, Ercolini. However interesting as the thought may be, it makes not one bit of difference to how you feel. If a rat were to walk in here right now as I'm talking, would you greet it with a saucer of your delicious milk? Probably not. I didn't think so. You don't like them. You don't really know why you don't like them. All you know is you find them repulsive. Consequently, a German soldier conducts a search of a house suspected of hiding Jews. Where does the hawk look? He looks in the barn, he looks in the attic, he looks in the cellar, he looks everywhere he would hide. But there's so many places it would never occur to a hawk to hide. However, the reason the Führer's brought me off my Alps in Austria and placed me in French cow country today is because it does occur to me. Because I'm aware of what tremendous feats human beings are capable of once they abandon dignity. Yeah, yeah. Again, I mean, he's a he's a fantastic actor, but he's given dialogues that just mm-hmm. it, it it just shines. And yeah. like, this is probably my favorite Tarantino film. Okay, cool. uh, I don't think it's his best, but it's probably my favorite to watch. Um, and what I loved about it was it's because so I think I think this was just after the two Kill Bills, and uh, it would have been Death Proof. I think it would have been before this. I think aye. it was the Kill Bills, then it was the, the Grindhouse Death Proof. Yeah, and double, then this. And then this, I think, was aye. next, maybe 2007, 2008. So when I heard the Tantino film, Tantino was going to do a World War II film, mm. but basically around about the kind of idea of the Dirty Dozen and stuff like that, yeah. I was very excited because I thought, mm. well, I love World War II films anyway. It's okay. the same when I got away when he was going to make Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. When I found out he was going to do a film addressing the Manson murders, I was like, yes, this is <laughs> class. Uh, so right, this is my this is probably my favourite one to watch. Mm-hmm. And again, I mean the cast. I think this would be the first time we worked with Brad Pitt as well. I think mm-hmm. I don't think he'd been in any um, any of his films before. The only one I could say maybe he was in was well, he was in again. True Romance. He plays a. He's got a small cameo in that. Yeah, but that's obviously yeah, not yeah. his not yeah. his actual directed movie. But um, plays the, the kind of stoner bro in True yeah. Romance. Yeah. Um, not that I, again, not that I can I think of. He, he wouldn't have been in Kill Bill. That wouldn't strike me as a bad guy. No, he's definitely. Movie. He's known Jackie Brown. Um, no, he's not. No, but no, uh, Jackie, Brown's, Jackie Brown's where he, he works with De Niro. So mm-hmm. that's, that's why, that's why, I mean, there are, there are very few of the great Hollywood actors that Tarantino hasn't had in one of his films now. Yeah. Which I love. Yeah. Um, Brad Pitt's a funny one for me. Like, uh, apart from in his Tarantino movies, I can kind of, and Seven, I can kind of. Take him or leave him, like. But I think he's great in this. Like, as Aldo Rain, he just he he chews scenery as well. Like, yeah. it's, it's it's an over the top performance of it is. like a, a an army general, is he? Yeah, yeah. 
it's such a massively different performance that he has in this than he has from Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. Yeah. Because that's a very understated performance as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, but in this, he is a, he's a proper caricature of an American general. Mm-hmm. And the accent he has as well. That's <laughs> fantastic. But yeah, it, it's massively overacted. Aye. But again, Aye. very, very funny as well. Mm-hmm. I think the... Um the point where you're getting a real sense of what the bastards are all about is when they've captured some German soldiers yeah, and they bring out uh, Donny Donovitz, who's yeah. known to the Germans as the Bear Jew. Um, and he is played by Eli Roth. Um, Eli Roth, yeah. Yeah. Um, don't like Eli Roth, but he's good in this. <laughs> I don't like him as a director. All that sort yeah. of stuff. Um, but, I think this is again going into that kind of Tarantino level of um, tension building. Like the shot of Donnie coming out of the, the tunnel that he's hiding in, he's yeah. hiding in the dark. It probably goes on intentionally like a couple of seconds too long. Yeah, and he's just banging the wall with a. Hi, yeah. Yeah. In the scene, it's like this is the only form of entertainment we get. So yeah. I can't wait to. And Brad Pitt's like, I can't wait to see him bash your fucking brains in. Yeah. yeah, 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 um, yeah. And yeah. Pit just selling that, and then the the building attention, and then the the release from that tension with the extreme violence, which is something that yeah. he does he does really well as well. Yeah, that was the first time I think because I knew Eli Roth as a director, as a horror mm-hmm. movie director. I'd never actually seen him before, and he's fucking massive. <laughs> like he like he's I don't know if that was intentionally from angles they filmed that, mm-hmm. but when he when he comes out and he's towering over the guy, he's huge. Like, he properly is a massive, massive guy. Yeah. And I never expected that. I always expected, like as I say, I'd never seen him, but I knew mm-hmm. his films, yeah. and I always expected him to be, I don't know, quite a wee guy for a director. <laughs> right. And then you see him, and he's this monster of a man. Mm-hmm. Uh, and also with the Tarantino universe, uh, Donny Donovitz, is the grandfather of Lee Donovitz in True Romance, who's the film producer that they go to. <laughs> Fucking hell, it's... Uh, <laughs> that's just, and it, where do you find it, all these movies? This is the IMDb. Oh, listen, I've, been, no, I, I've, I've <laughs> obsessed with this. That's why I love the Marvel Universe so much. I love yeah. cross, cross-references and all um, that kind of shit. Right? And obviously folk going on about the MCU and being the first kind of interwoven cinematic universe and it'll be the you get Tarantino I think Kevin Smith came out and said as well he's like no I've got fucking no exactly I know I know, I know, I, know I, I don't make know. billions and billions yeah. but give me some credit yeah. Pixar do it as well well I, I Pixar it. universe <laughs> <laughs> I, can't, I don't imagine you'd have um, a character of the beard you in a Pixar movie unless they've went <laughs> that really be, fucking aye, aye. <laughs> <laughs> animated Tarantino movie maybe that'll be the one that retires on
um, <laughs> it's just yeah, it's there's this is the scene where you also get introduced to Hugo Stiglitz, who yes. is fucking amazing in this. Like just the yeah. type of character he is, he's just so intense and so scary without yeah. even really doing much. Yeah. At, the, at the kind of points where he's he's in the moment sort of thing, like the, the, the movie that you're watching, you see his flashbacks where he's killed all the German officers uh-huh. and he's just going fucking nuts on them. He doesn't really get to do much else, but he's almost in the background and doesn't say a lot. And there's just, yeah. again, another great Tarantino character that's just yeah. brutal, but with a tinge of humour and weirdness. Yeah, 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 yeah. Oh, he's a menacing, menacing character. Aye. But I very memorable as well. The scene in the which we're come on to the now actually um, the bar scene. Um, This is kind of stand out for me anyway. um, Where you have Michael Fassbender kind of showing up in a a fairly early role for him in terms of prominence. Yeah, and Mike Myers randomly uh, introducing him as playing a a British Army general and then Churchill in the background. I can't remember the actor that plays him, but I recognise his face. Yeah, I can't Um, remember actually. And they're basically trying to get information from Frau von Hammersmark, who is Diane Kruger. Yes. And it basically plays out. This is the the, the tension in this really gets to me every time I watch it, even though I know how it's going to go. You know what's coming. You know there's an army officer that's above everyone in there, kind of hiding around the corner, Mm. and you're just waiting for that moment of... It's like second-hand embarrassment when they're dealing with the, um, the kind of young... Uh, drafted soldiers yes, that yeah. have been brought in and to, from that to the general it's just it's fantastic yeah this would have been had we not been talking about Tarantino this would have been the scene where you ask if I go back and watch a different scene this would have been it because mm. I think I think it's one of the best scenes I've ever seen yeah. in film it's like you say the tension the acting the dialogue is just unbelievable mm-hmm. and uh, when he said because I I forgot that that was it was Mike Myers that introduced uh, Fastbender into it, and because uh, that was that was because Mike Myers was always going to be in the film, but the Bear Jew was supposed to be played by Adam Sandler. All right, and yeah, he was supposed to be, <laughs> and uh, the the filming schedule didn't work out, right. and that that would have been that would have been very interesting. Uh, Added a whole new tone to that scene as well because Sandler's not particularly. Big, as you're saying. No, exactly. Uh, no, and at the time, at the time, you kind of go, "What? Well, I don't like because that, that that was kind of Happy Gilmore, kind of Sandler." So you kind of go, and I don't understand. But then you look at Sandler as an actor now, and you go, "Fuck, he probably he could have done it." Um, yeah. And in that, in the bar scene, this is why when anyone ever talks about the new being a new Bond, because mm-hmm. uh, I'm obsessed with the James Bond films as well. Okay, cool. I think Fastbender. I would always pick Fastbender because mm. I think there's two scenes where he is basically three, three really. There's three scenes in films that he's in where he's basically he is basically James Bond. Mm-hmm. Right, this is one of them. Yep. Because the sheer coolness and the way he, the way when he's been found out by the the three drinks thing, the way he positions his finger, uh, the way he switches effortlessly into English again. Yeah. It's so Bond. It's, this, it's so cool. It's so calm. Well, if this is it, old boy, I hope you don't mind if I go out speaking to Kings. By all means, Captain. Uh, 
There's a special rung in hell reserved for people who waste good scotch. Seeing as I may be rapping on the door momentarily. I must say, damn good stuff, sir. Now, about this pickle we find ourselves in. Would appear there's only one thing left for you to do. And what would that be? Stiglitz. See how feed us into your Nazi boss. Uh, and then the other two are both in X-Men first class. Um, can I try and guess one? Yeah. Is it where he's in Argentina? Yes, when he walks into the bar. Yes, fantastic. And he, he, he murders the Nazis. Yeah, that, I mean, it's phenomenal. And the scene just before that, where he's in, uh, he goes to visit the Swiss banker mm-hmm. to find out where all the Nazi gold's yeah. been deposited. Mm-hmm. And uh, he's, he's, he's so suave in that scene yeah. as well. And uh, I, I got to do a show with uh, the comic book writer Mark Miller. All right, cool. Who... Uh, worked on those X-Men films mm-hmm. uh, and he said, now was it, who was it that, is it Christopher, no it's not Christopher McQuarrie that, was it, oh, what's his name, Brian something that made those, I can't remember, whoever made first, whoever made first class, the X-Men film. Oh, um, was, uh, it, was, it, was it Brian Singer? Brian Singer rings a bell, I'm going to need to look that up now because it'll, it'll annoy me. Uh, I think you might be right, Brian Singer. No, Matthew Vaughan. Ryan Singer might have been the first X-Men yes. movie. Yes, Matthew yes. Vaughan. Yeah. Matthew Vaughan, of course it is. So, <laughs> uh, yeah, because uh, Matthew Vaughan, I think he'd made Layer Cake as well. And mm-hmm. uh, so he was he's a huge Bond fan anyway. And yeah. he, Mark Miller was telling me that he specifically told Fastbender to act like Bond in that, right to the point where that Swiss banker scene, he's wearing the identical suit that Connery wears in Goldfinger. Really? It's an identical grey suit, aye. Awesome. So, bye. Fastbender for Bond. He's probably a bit too old now. He's kind of, I think he's missed the... Depends how long he would want to do it, I suppose, wouldn't he? Aye, I know, I know. Craig was a good, what, nearly 20 years? Yeah. Um, yeah, aye, so... I've always kind of went off a wee tangent here, but I was never a massive Bond man, like, mm-hmm. until the Daniel Craig ones. Right. I absolutely loved the Craig ones, even the kind of lesser ones, like um, Spectre and... Yeah, uh, Quantum of Solace. I've yeah. got a lot of enjoyment out of them. I loved the last one. Ah, so did I. Time to die. I thought they've ended it perfectly um, yeah. without giving spoilers away. You could yeah. do that for Bond the kind of same way they do with a lot of different uh, kind of recurring yeah. characters throughout movie history. But yeah, that's a, yeah. a great I've one. Got but... a, I've got a bit in my the Fringe show that I'm going to be doing in August cool. where I completely spoil the ending of <laughs> time to die and it's generally the most enjoy one of the most enjoyable things i've ever done on stage because right. people are people are really angry about it as well <laughs> so these are the angry bastards that you're talking about maybe it's maybe it's yeah. the fact that you spoil boy maybe they're all happy up until then and then some guys <laughs> Me, wait. But, uh, but it's so funny it's it's very very funny to watch the reaction to it i'm glad i've seen it. i've already seen that then so yeah, <laughs> um, so yeah the the bar scene kind of plays out and Essentially, everyone dies. They all get yeah. shot. Well, so they get Fastbender gets found out because he uses the wrong three fingers to say three to the, yeah. the barman, which I always thought was a really strange thing because surely you would be able to. Surely it's not that. Is it that ingrained in culture the way you would do a three? So it's, it's interesting how those like kind of 
it's basically and it doesn't get explained right at the time either, which is quite oh. interesting. It's not until yeah. she's back with the bastards because um Von Hammersmark survives the shootout. Um and then she explains what kind of sold him down the river. You was expecting yeah. a, a kind of villainous monologue to be, ah, now I have found you, you fucker, whatever, because you've yeah. done this. But it's given that time to kind of breathe a bit again. So you think yeah. what's it's a, it's a proper proper bloodbath as well in the bar. <laughs> like everyone dies apart from her. Like mm-hmm. it's yeah, it's the bit where um, when Hugo says to the the kind of head German, say goodbye to your Nazi balls. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The blood just pisses up the wall. I know, I know, I know. And then it cuts to him again, and he's just got him pinned down and just stabbing him in the back of the neck, <laughs> like furiously just raging. Um, you get to that point, yeah, so everyone's pretty much dead. You've got Van Hammersmart still alive, and Brad Pitt comes down, and I think this is, again, another great turn for him, where he's the kind of banter he's got with the young German soldier who wants to get home to see his son. Yes, yeah, yeah. That's fantastic, man. Mm. Aye. It's like this is a Mexican standoff, and it's yeah. The, when he accentuates what you've got right here, a Mexican. It's just the way he talks yeah. is just so stand out from it. He's brilliant. Yeah, yeah, he really is good. And even like the humor as well. Like at the end when they go to the the cinema uh, for the the premiere uh, of the film, and they're, they're pretending to be Italian directors, <laughs> and he's got Italian heritage, so he's he's so able to speak some. But then the other two have got no fucking clue what they're supposed to be saying, so they just keep going bonjourno. It's like, what is it? No, it's Brad Pitt that hasn't got any. Because they're like, yeah, yeah. He says, um, I speak the first most Italian. Uh, Donny here, he speaks the second yeah. most. And then I can't remember the, the wee guy's name. He speaks the third most. And he goes, yeah. I don't speak any. And he says, that's what I said, the third most. <laughs> <laughs> and the two of them, Donny and uh, the wee guy, are just going about going, me scusi, me scusi. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Brad Pitt's just going, Bonjour, no. Because she's been told that uh, the Germans don't have a good ear for Italian yeah, accents. So he just, so yeah. he just doesn't give a fuck. Grazie. Corlomi? Lo pronuncio correttamente? Si, correcto. Gorlomi? Per cortesia, me lo ripeti un po' ora. Gorlomi. Scusi, con me? Gorlami. Ancora una volta. Gorlami. Come si chiama lei? Antonio Margarete. Ancora? Margarete. Un'altra volta, ma adesso vorrei proprio sentire la musica delle parole. Margarete. Margarete. E lei? Dominic de Coco. Come? Dominic de Coco. Bravo. Bravo. Glaube, meine Kamerafreunde müssen ihre Plätze finden. Lasciatemi vedere i vostri biglietti. Ich glaube, für den Star von Ihrem Status wird es nicht allzu schwierig gewesen sein, Premierenkarten für Ihre Freunde zu besorgen. 0023, 0024, non sarà troppo difficile di trovare. Arrivederci. 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 Hi, it's brilliant. It is um, one of the things I mentioned was about the kind of fairy tale aspect of some of these mm. later Tarantino ones, and it kind of starts here. How do you mm. feel about that? Like, because obviously in this, they kill Hitler, yeah. and it's a standalone film. That's fine, and obviously we don't see how that kind of affects the war afterwards, and how, yeah. it, how it would change the war if there was that kind of the death of Hitler. Um, do you quite like that? I do like it. I do like it. Again, it comes back to this. 
if there is a Tarantino universe, mm-hmm. then Hitler has been killed in the Tarantino universe. Yeah. And that probably influences the events of the later films. Like the world's a completely different place in the later Tarantino films than it yeah. would be. And that that that's why that that's kind of I've seen interviews where he well maybe not interviews with him, but people that are fans of his kind of theorizing that that's why they live in such a violent, violent world. Yeah. Because Hitler has been killed in such a brutally violent way mm-hmm. that violence is just part of that world. Like it's just that that kind of cartoon yeah. over excessive. And whenever I mean like the, the thing that Tantino always gets pulled up for is the over excessive glamorization of violence. Mm-hmm. And but it's it's incredibly hard to take it seriously because it is so over the top. Yeah. And so obviously comic bookish. Yeah. That I mean, like the 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 and the 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 sword fight scene in Kill Bill mm-hmm. with Lucy Liu, like there is so much blood, and you've got people getting their arms chopped off, and then and like a like a a jet, a powerful jet spurt <laughs> of blood just yeah. going directly from it, and that doesn't happen. Like it doesn't like medically that doesn't happen. <laughs> It'll bleed. But it doesn't squirt into someone's face, and that's where you kind of go, "Yeah, this is this is obviously over the top mm. and yeah. cartoonish." Yeah, it's so not, you can't take it, you can't take it as seriously. Yeah, it's not played as in a serious tone. He's not sitting there and saying, "This is how." It's uh, the best way to put it. This isn't how real world violence is. He's not commenting on yeah. that. He's not trying to make comment on that or, yeah. or anything. It's in his world and his kind of movie-making world, it's mm-hmm. over the top. It's played for laughs it's, yeah. at certain points. You that are talking about Kill Bill, where Lucy Liu, um, she's with the the triad. Is it the triad? Yeah. The Yakuza? They're called like, the 86 Fists or something like that. The Crazy the Eight. The Crazy Eight, uh, that's, it, that's, it, that's it, yeah. But it's the scene where she's got all the, the bosses around her and the guy like, insults her heritage. Yeah. So she just runs and fucking lops his head off and then to say the giant spray of blood. But then she has this, again, fantastic speech monologue where she just loses her shit and starts yeah. shouting while it's getting translated for her. Yeah. It's yeah. great. Yeah, it's, it's, it's played as it is. It's played in a very Tarantino way. I don't think you see violence kind of depicted that way in anything else. No, and if they do no. try, it's, it's more kind of trying to ape him and not mm-hmm, do it mm-hmm, as well, mm-hmm, really. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I, love the, I love the rewriting of history because mm-hmm. it's... It's a film. It's meant, it's meant to entertain. Yeah. So uh, there needed to be that. Yeah. Like, and, and and I do like the fact that since that he has completely most most of the films have been set. Well, all of them have been set in a historical time period. Yeah. Yeah. Because after we there is Django and Hateful Eight, and then as we yeah on to the last one, eh? Yeah. Yeah. So yeah, I think it's great. Yeah. Right. So, on to the last movie, and this is my favourite out of the three. I'll just say this mm. for the off because I've absolutely loved this. Whether it is very well received, I'm not too sure. Like, I think people think basically it's once upon a time in Hollywood, I should say mm. that. Um, Tarantino's love letter to Hollywood, essentially, yeah. to movie making, to 
his period of loving cinema or what made him fall in love with cinema, it seems. Yeah. Um, I, I just think this is fantastic. A lot of people think, I think his editor died, passed away before this was made, uh, and maybe Hateful Eight as well. Ro- Roger Avery, yeah. Mm. So folk think he's maybe not got that person to tell him no, kind of yeah. like Ridley Scott does with the Alien movies and things like that. Um, yeah. I think this is just a, a genius piece of work right from mm. the off. Aye, totally agree. Mm. I think it's brilliant. I, I love... A, a lot of the, my pals that didn't like it were put off by the length and the fact that nothing really happens until the end. Yeah. And I kind of went, that that's what I loved about it. Like, I, I was mm-hmm. fully, full, I went to see it at the cinema and I was fully immersed in the world for what the, the three hours that it lasts. Like, fully, fully on board with it. And I was like, that's kind of, that's, that's part most of the times I love, most of it, the Tarantino films, where literally nothing happens. Mm-hmm. And you've just got two actors acting the shit out of a script that has got incredible dialogue in it. Yeah, it's um, that's one of the points I was wanting to touch on. Do you think from Leo and Brad in this Leonardo DiCaprio? Sorry, we've not uh, spoken about him yet. When Brad Pitt comes back again, is this the best performances from a Tarantino movie? Do you think? Um, I I probably, I mm-hmm. probably the best performances in. I think, let me think. Um, I mean, the, this is the second time he's worked with DiCaprio and he played yeah. um, Calvin Candy in yeah. Django. And he was good in that. But it was a cartoon villain, wasn't it? More so yeah, than yeah. the proper kind of... Proper I think, I think, well, I think we've already said, like, I think probably Christoph Waltz in, in Glorious was probably mm-hmm. the best. Yeah. But I think, I think, I think, they're, I think they're great. Like, I, I think what I love about Brad Pitt and Leonardo DiCaprio is, I think they're, they're two of the best actors Mm-hmm. In in recent times, like I think they're 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 right back to Pacino De Niro level of acting. Yeah, um, yeah. I think like DiCaprio in because I don't I don't think I think he did he win the Oscar for the Revenant. I think that's what yeah. he finally won it for, and it's not even nearly as bad because this is better. Yeah, um, he's yeah. better in Catch Me If You Can. He's phenomenal in Wolf of Wall Street. Like yeah. that's that's DiCaprio's performance, and Brad Pitt. I don't know. I know you're like saying, like, have you seen Moneyball? I've not seen Moneyball, no. See, watch that. Brad right, Pitt's okay. amazing in that. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think they're they're the, they're their two best individual performances, but together in this film, yeah, it is phenomenal watching the two of them on screen. It's almost um, body comedy style with the yeah. two of them in this. It's definitely is more. There is friendships that develop in Tarantino movies, but this is about Hollywood through the lens of these two individuals who have worked together yeah. for decades and are maybe on the way out in terms of acting wise and they're yeah. seeing a kind of a new Hollywood coming forward yeah. from the the bounty law, I think, so the, yeah. you know, the, the show Tarantino's in, the kind of old Western style movies into something a bit different. Like um yeah. Tarantino lives next uh, Tarantino, sorry, uh, DiCaprio lives next door to Polanski who's yeah. starting to make inroads with like, Rosemary's baby and things like that. Yeah, 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 yeah. Level of Hollywood. Yeah. And it's about these two guys going through that together. Yeah. And it's definitely his more can his most probably heartfelt relationship I think he's had in movies. Because yeah. I think I think I lo- I mean that again, when I found out he was making a film about a uh, classic Hollywood, set in classic Hollywood. I, I was very excited. And then when I found out that there was going to be people like Damien Lewis plays Steve McQueen in it, yeah, I was like properly excited about the fact that these actors that I love in films were going to be depicted in a Tarantino film. Yeah. It's it the um, This is, I actually took a note the second time of rewatching this. Um, 
of the cast that's in it. So you've got DiCaprio, Margot Robbie, Al Pacino, uh, mm-hmm. Brad Pitt, um, Timothy Oliphant, Kurt Russell. Oh, yeah, yeah. Kurt Russell, barely in it, but small appearance. Michael Madsen yeah. is in it for uh-huh. two scenes. Uh, Damien Lewis, as you said, playing um, Steve McQueen. Emil Hirsch is in it as well. Yeah. Um, and then randomly, Kevin Smith's daughter, Harley Quinn Smith, is in it as yeah. well. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, but, um, and it's just, it's he always gets incredible cast, but this just takes it to another level. Getting Al Pacino in it for what is essentially a five-minute scene. He's in it for five minutes, yeah. yeah. I mean, it's a great, it's, great scene. And yeah. That, and, that, and that's one of those scenes where nothing happens. It's just two guys talking in a booth in a bar, and that's it. But yeah. it takes so long, like, and it, it, that's the kind of scene that other people would cut out of a film and go, because it doesn't, it doesn't add anything to the film. It doesn't really move the plot forward because there is very little of a plot in this. Well, since I just finished watching a Rick Dalton film festival, I think I know who you are. Put it there. Well. Yeah. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz, and, and and thank you for taking an interest. Schwartz, not Schwartz. Ah, hell, I'm, so, I'm sorry about that. It's my pleasure, Mr. Schwartz. Call me Marvin. Marvin, call me Rick. <coughs> Rick? Yeah. Oh, is that your son? <laughs> my son? <laughs> no, that's, that's my stunt double, Cliff Booth. Yeah. Good to meet you. We've worked together since the, uh, the last two seasons of Bounty Law. Yeah. My, my car's in the shop, so he gave me a ride. That's a big f-ing lie. Rick got his driver's license taken away for too many drunk driving tickets. Cliff drives him everywhere. Sounds like a good friend. (laughs) I try. I want to send you greetings from my wife, Mary Alice Schwartz. Oh, that's nice. (laughs) Thanks a lot. Uh, We had a Rick Dalton double feature in our screening room last night. Oh, well, that's both flattering and, and embarrassing. <laughs> What'd you see? 35 millimeter prints of Tana and the 14 fists of McCluskey. I hope the uh, Rick Dalton uh, double feature wasn't too uh, painful for you in the, in the missus. <laughs> oh no, painful stuff. <laughs> what are you saying? Mary Alice loves Westerns. Our whole courtship, we watch us, and we thoroughly enjoyed Dana. Oh, that's so nice. really good. And um, anyway, she goes to bed. I open up a box out of Barbara's. I light up. I call myself a cognac, uh-huh. and I watch the fourteen fists of McCluskey. <laughs> what a picture! What a picture! Good, good picture. Yeah. That is so much fun. All the shooting. Oh, and. Uh, but it is just that that's what I loved about it. It was so relaxed and it took its time and it looked incredible. Like the, the kind of, I think it's probably his best looking film in terms yeah. of the colours and the, like every scene that Margot Robbie's in, like she, she, she looks like she's been drawn Aye. on yeah. the screen. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it's incredible. And again, speaking of like Margot Robbie's scene, she doesn't have a massive amount of lines or anything in the yeah. movie, but it's just following her. And it's almost like, a, obviously, there's issues with Polanski. He demands a, essentially a paedophile. Yeah. And Tarantino's known to have been friends with him. So you could say there's maybe an issue will come on at the end of the film uh, when we when we come on to the last kind of scene. But it's it's this is this is her fairy tale. 
Yeah. This is the the um, Sharon Tate fairy tale, and it's following her around, just doing a daily in her daily life. Like she's going to parties, and it's got a couple of minutes scene there. She's mm-hmm. getting ready in the house. It's just following her around and following her watching movies as the the, uh, the gratuitous Tarantino foot shot when she's in the cinema and she's just got manky yeah. feet. <laughs> and yeah. you can just imagine yeah. him just loving that. Like, oh, yeah. God. Each to their yeah. own, but come on. <laughs> he really he really wraps up the foot thing in once upon a time. Like just when when Brad Pitt picks up the the lassie for the ranch, Aye. like there's a long lingering shot on her when she puts her feet up on the dashboard like yeah. it's this is maybe that's where the editor could have come in. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Come yeah. on, if fuck went. Yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know. <laughs> but um, talking about the the yeah, one of the essentially part of the Manson family, you've got the ranch scene. Mm. This is the bit that really surprised me about this movie. It was the subversion of it. So mm. Brad Pitt knows the owner of the ranch, or the old owner of the ranch, um, and he takes some of the girls home to the ranch and. This is the kind of build attention that we spoke about before the Tarantino that he's so masterful at doing. This doesn't end in bloodshed. No. Which is incredibly surprising. And there is a bit of blood, but I thought this was one of his best bits of filmmaking because it went against what you would expect him to do. You do that. <laughs> you know, that's not my car. That's my boss's car. And if something were to happen to my boss's car, well, I'd get in trouble. Lucky for you, he's got a spare. Fix it. Ha 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 ha, fuck you. One step closer and I will knock his teeth out. <laughs> Fix it. Can't at least get a rag to wipe my face first? Nope. Tire first. Yeah, yeah, it probably it, it ends in a proper anticlimax. Yeah, exactly. Where, yeah. You're you're expecting you're you're expecting a bloodbath between the the Manson. I mean, that's a fucking Manson family. They've taken over this ranch, yeah. And uh, you can, you know, I mean, Brad Pitt's character knows exactly what's going on here, and it's but it, it never it never it never crosses over into violence. No, it's you're right. Yeah, he's. Um, it's been hinted at that Brad Pitt's killed his wife, which is another scene <laughs> that's quite the. There's a bit of nastiness to the humour. You never see it when you see them on the boat and he's clearly just sick of yeah. his wife like nipping his ear over something. Mm-hmm. Um so you know there's a kind of there's a hint of violence and there's a, a an element of aggression to him that you don't you've never really seen. Coming into this Manson ranch, you're thinking, well, this is going to kick off. This is where exactly, you're going yeah. to see uh, Cliff 
just go to town on all of these and yeah. knowing it's kind of fairy tale elements, is he just going to murder the whole Manson family and then leave? Yeah, yeah. But it ends basically with him punching a guy in the nose and making him change his tire. Yeah, 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 yeah. But I mean, he's 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 manly as fuck in this film, Brad Pitt. Like he is like a brick shit house. Ah, he is. He is. When he's up, is he? When he's up on the roof. This is uh, when he, he has he the fix- flashback to Bruce Lee. Yeah, right? yeah. Is he is he fixing tiles or something on his roof or something like that? Like. <laughs> And he, when he takes his shirt off, and you just kind of go, Jesus Christ, that man's in his 50s. Like, this aye. is, aye. <laughs> yeah. The Bruce Lee scene's, the Bruce, the Bruce Lee scene's brilliant as well. Like, I know yeah. Tantino got a lot of shit for it yeah, because of how he, how he depicted Bruce Lee mm-hmm. in the I, film. And I think that, again, comes back to Tantino's style of filmmaking where it is comic booky-esque and it's heightened characters. Like, he wasn't mm-hmm. saying that's exactly what Bruce Lee was like. Bruce Lee wasn't, maybe it's a bit stereotypical but from what you see of Bruce Lee on film and what people know of him from the screen we wouldn't have seen the behind the scenes stuff of Bruce Lee just acting oh, exactly of course yeah 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 you just yeah. see him as this kind of larger than life guy and I think the, yeah. the criticism we got could be wanted and obviously the Lee family weren't very happy with it uh, Bruce Lee's family so yeah. it's their, their surnames now but um, it's just one of those elements of his filmmaking where it's yeah it's a heightened character yeah and from like for all intents and purposes when I've seen I'm interviewed about it. He says that Bruce Lee was well known for being derogatory yeah. and dismissive of stuntmen because he, he, I think he's pally with a lot of stuntmen in the business, mm-hmm. and they were like, "No, he was he was a genuine prick to stuntmen." So, yeah, yeah. it's um, yeah, it's it was the same. Brad Pitt just he's fantastic in that scene as mm-hmm. well. Um, I think they call it a draw. In the fight yeah. with Bruce Lee. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Bruce Lee didn't touch, Bruce Lee's, uh, no one touched Bruce. He says yeah. that in the car, <laughs> he says yeah. otherwise. Um, yeah. My favourite line in that is where he's talking about, uh, he's talking about, you know, like, these hands are registers as lethal weapons. <laughs> like, if we fight, I kill you, I go to prison. And he's drinking milk, he's drinking like a carton of milk, and he just goes, anyone kills a man in a fight, he goes to prison, it's called manslaughter. <laughs> <laughs> I think he says they don't mention the fact that it's. He says, I can't remember exactly what he calls him, but it's basically he says it because you know he get the shit kicked out of him. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, 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 yeah. It's great, and that's the. So after that flashback, it's the only time we see Charles Manson in the movie. I think, isn't it? Yes, it is. I uh, yeah, played yeah. by the same guy who played him in Mindhunter. Oh, was it? I didn't realise that. Yeah, it's ah, the same. Right, right, right. It's the ultimate in typecasting. You've had two major roles. <laughs> <laughs> you look like a fucking serial killer. You look like a cult leader. You're playing him twice. That's <laughs> the next movie. Fuck knows. Helter oh, Skelter. Um, so, yeah, moving on to the finale. Uh, and I remember when I was watching this going, there's really no violence in this at all. I don't see why it's an 18. The language isn't particularly... Uh, over the top for a Tarantino movie. There's no, there's no, I don't even think they say the word cunt once. No. Like, I don't think he usually says that much, but no. the last 20 minutes of this just go fucking nuts. Yeah. Brad Pitt has had the kind of acid cigarette and he's taking his yeah. lovely big uh, pit bull for a walk. Yeah. And this is where it gets to the fairy tale scene. The, the Mansons essentially turn up at the wrong house. Yeah. The family, because they're looking to murder Sharon Tate. Yeah. And uh, Polanski as well, I would assume. Oh no, he was on holiday, wasn't he? So it would yeah. have just been Tate. Um And the violence here just goes through the fucking roof. It's yeah. brilliant. Absolutely love it. I remember I pissing myself laughing while this was going on. Yeah. Because it is so out of the blue for the rest of the movie. Yeah. 
It's massive because the dog gets involved as well. Dog get beats the guy's dick off. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and it's that there's one bit. It's because I know, like I know, he, he, again, he got in a lot of trouble for the fact. I mean, this fact that the Brad Pitt kicks a shower at him, mm, and yeah. uh, and I mean, there's two, two women there. Yeah, and uh, when he's is it, does he does he slam her face into a shell? He he goes to town on that the redhead. Like yeah. properly goes off on her, like and he yeah. slams her face into the shelf. He slams her face off. He just drags her around the house, yeah. slamming her off of things. Yeah, he got a bit of kind of flack for yeah. that as well. Yeah, and then the the lassie at the end, uh, the she she bursts through the window and the capo's <laughs> missed all this because he's, he's in the pool with headphones on. <laughs> And then he goes and gets the fucking flamethrower <laughs> from the war film he'd made and just uh, burns her alive. Like <laughs> yeah. Again, that's just a cracking scene because she's just oblivious to the whole thing. Yeah, yeah. He's margarita in his pool, yeah, and his lines. Yeah, and then she busts through and he uh, absolutely shits himself because he, she's had uh, she had her eyes damaged or something, something's yes. happened to her eyes. Can't remember exactly what's happened, so she's just going nuts and just flashes through. And then, yeah, he goes into his shed and picks up this. Fucking <laughs> <laughs> surely that shouldn't be allowed to work anymore. I know, that I because there was a bit of foreshadowing, yeah, having that with a. The, the El Pacino scene. Yeah. Um, and he talks about when he's, I practice with that three hours a day for two weeks. It shows you him practicing with it. He says, can we yeah. make it a bit less hot? <laughs> it's a flame. It's a flame for us, no? What the fuck you meant to do with that? Um, that's just, I. It, it, yeah. it goes over the top. But again, as we've spoke about, the way Tarantino's movies are and the violence, was it right? There was a bit of kind of bite back against them, possibly, is the violence against women aspect. Mm. But it's Manson family members, so that's the see, kind that's, of level. That, see, that is the thing. Exactly. It's like, I mean, if someone's there to murder you, does it matter what, what sex, sex they are before, yeah. depending on how much you treat them? And you're also saying, I mean, I, I know there's a fairy tale aspect of it, but you're going, well, the, the misogyny and the violence against women. And like you say, but this is the Manson family. This is 
these are serial killers. Like yeah. this is, do you know what I mean? So yeah. it's and I think who, it's the ones that would have done the killing with here. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's, it's the three that would have taken out, carried out the killings. I think that are involved. Yeah, 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 yeah. So that's what, yeah. So essentially, as we said earlier, it was Sharon Tate's fairy tale. She gets to live, and that's mm-hmm. what. Um, one of the, the things I was going to ask about it, it doesn't really. Polanski's kind of in and out of it. He's not a major player in it. He's certainly not as much as Margot Robbie and, uh, as Sharon Tate is. Does it feel maybe that it's a wee bit of? I don't know the best word, way to word this. Like she's obviously talking about the Polanski and Tarantino relationship, where it's it's not letting Polanski off for what he does right, later in uh, life, yeah. but it's maybe trying to paint what he could have been on to be in life in a better way. Yeah, yeah. And no, I see what you mean. Yeah, mm. because I mean, it is, it, is, it is depiction of Roman Polanski in this time period. Yeah. So this is. I, I mean, I, 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 to be honest, I'm not a huge. I, I'm not a huge fan of any Polanski. Well, Chinatown, I like mm-hmm. uh, actually, and I like Rosemary's Baby. But um, it's interesting. It, it's like a. It's a question that's come up in my podcast when we talk about musicians okay. quite a lot because mm-hmm. there are there are a lot of musicians that have very, very, very dodgy pass. And if you were to dig deeper into some of your favourite bands, yeah. you largely wouldn't listen to music ever again. Uh, but at the same time, you probably wouldn't watch a lot of films. You probably wouldn't read a lot of books. Mm-hmm. You wouldn't like a lot of art. You wouldn't, like, if you were to really, like, there's some fucking very troublesome people yeah. in, that have made some of the best things. Uh, yeah. And it's that argument of can you def- can you separate the art from the artist mm-hmm. almost, um, and personally I take things as the actual piece of work, okay, nice. as opposed to um, and and that's not in any way excusing or no no supporting the person and the crimes that they've committed. Mm-hmm. Rosemary's Baby still heralded as one of the the greatest horror movies ever made. It is, and you can't deny that. That's 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 the thing. You can't deny it. Um, I don't think anyone should work after they have found been found guilty of crimes, mm-hmm. but you can't erase the the work that they've already done. Yeah, and you can't you can't dilute the quality of it no. because of what you've now found out. You can absolutely make your choice to never ever watch it again. I've yeah. absolutely no problem with that. Personally, though, I will still. I'll still watch it. Yeah. Um, I mean, if you are like, like literally everyone, like if you were a, like, right, Elvis did a lot of shit that was bad. Mm-hmm. Uh, Sinatra was a bastard. Yeah. The Beatles were bastards. Yeah. The Stones were bastards. Do you know what I mean? And then in, in Hollywood, like Cary Grant was a bastard. Roald Dahl was anti-Semitic. Do you know what I mean? It's like it literally yeah. everyone had issues and there is always that argument of there's a certain time when it was more acceptable mm-hmm. for various kind of for various reasons that are wrong um but in, in terms of this i think i think tarantino definitely treads a fine line with the relationships he's had mm-hmm. because he had a very strong relationship with harvey weinstein for yeah. a long long time and he's never really been able to defend that as much no um, but then I think everyone in Hollywood, the majority of people in Hollywood are culpable of having had a relationship with Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, exactly. And there's footage of Roman Polanski getting awarded where Meryl Streep's on her feet, giving him a standing ovation. So mm-hmm. I think in those worlds, no one's really no one's really innocent. No, 
I think the the um, the Polanski one is interesting because I think it's, it's, there's a lot of big actors and actresses are still willing to go to where he is to work mm-hmm. with him. Um, I don't know if it's the same with um, what's his face, uh, the guy that married his daughter or something. Woody uh, Allen. Woody Allen. I don't know Woody if he's Allen, still yeah. getting work, but Polanski. I'm sure there was something an article recently I seen that there was maybe Scarlett Johansson was going to work on a project with him, something yeah. like Yeah. It seems like for them, I mean, people in Hollywood are a whole different ballgame from yeah. just like you and me, just normal, normal people, if you want to put it that way. Um, they're just on a whole different level, and they probably don't see the issue with working with Polanski again the same way we would. Yeah. It's interesting. It's, it's a bit heavy, but... Yeah. <laughs> it's <laughs> I just want to talk then. So we went through the three movies. Um, I think you said Inglorious Bastards your favourite out of them. Yeah. Is yeah. there any? I, I, mean, I don't think I'd need to say to you any other Tarantino you'd recommend because everyone is great and everybody knows Tarantino as well. Yeah, so. I'd yeah. watch them all, and <laughs> and if you get a chance, watch True Romance as well. Yeah, because yeah. it is a it is a phenomenal film. Mm. From Dust Till Dawn. That's another one From Dust Till Dawn as well, yeah. It's God, that's a, it's a cracking film, yeah. Yeah, that's probably his best performance as an actor as well. Yeah, got to suck Salma Hayek's toe. He was delighted. He does, yeah, I know, I know, my God. <laughs> Dan Quentin, it's not in the script. Put it in the fucking script. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, he's just made some of the best movies, I think that we will see. And when he does, I think he says his next movie will be his last. I will believe yeah. him. Or he might get into production or something along those yeah. lines. But um, I look forward to seeing it. I thought I'd have been interested to see his Star Trek. I think that would have been interesting. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Cause that was, that was, that was muted for a while. And he's, mm. I mean, he's also, he's, he's written a Bond film as well. Has he? Which, right. Okay. Which would be phenomenal. Mm. Um, Cause he was, yeah, there was talks when Pierce Brosnan was still Bond. Right. That okay. he was going to do one. But I don't think, I don't think the Bond producers would ever, entertain Aye. that because Spielberg's written a Bond film as well like Aye. so it's I think they would want they, they, I can't remember the family that own the rights to Bond but I think they want Control which was the issue yeah. with Danny Boyle wasn't it yes yeah yeah mm. yeah so any 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 director that has a very unique style and a very unique vision mm-hmm. will never really get one because they're not allowed to just make the film that they would want to make mm-hmm. yeah it's almost kind of similar to what we were talking about with MCU. Maybe seeing it a wee bit more now with directors getting to put their own wee flair on it with like Taika Waititi and things like that. But yeah. overall, they want a certain level of control that your, your Spielberg, your Tarantino's yeah. uh, Boyle just wouldn't wouldn't touch yeah. by a barge pole. Aye. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting. But it'll be good to see what he comes up with. It takes yeah. time as well. So I'm looking forward to whatever it is. Yeah. Um, that will really do us for talking about Tarantino then. Um, it's been a great chat. Thank you very much That's for coming on. Brilliant fun. Brilliant fun. Um, a couple of wardrobe changes just because I'm <laughs> recording in my kitchen and I've had the oven on. Um, so just as a kind of wrap up before we go on to your music of choice, what have you got coming up and where can people find you? So I've got the Fringe coming up. Uh, so I'll be at the Edinburgh Festival every night from the 3rd to the 28th. Um, um, my show is called Comedian and it's at a, the Monkey Barrel Comedy Club at five past seven every night. So if you go to the Monkey Barrel website, monkeybarrel.com or just the Ed Fringe website, you'll be able to get tickets for that. Uh, and if you want to see what I'm like as a comic, you can watch the special. Mm. So if you just type in Mark Nelson Comedy on there, you can find mm. that. And my uh, podcast is called My Perfect Playlist. If you listen to that, it's basically me asking folk to pick a playlist based on various categories, and then we talk about why they've chosen those songs. 
Aye. Yeah, I've listened to a few episodes of that now. It's great. And yeah, thanks, man. Your YouTube is excellent. The best kind of um, what's the the word for it? The when you start having a go at the no, you're not really having a go at him, but you mentioned to the guy in the front who's the taxi driver. Yeah, also, yeah. Like, and, then, and he works for the NHS or something as well. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> just like, oh, fuck, what am I meant to do with that? Yeah. And then he, <laughs> he, 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 goes, he goes to the toilet at one point <laughs> and then ask him where the fuck he's going and his wife goes, he's just got a fear, which is <laughs> it's absolutely brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. I assume you never thought of calling your show Club Comic. <laughs> I, I, I th- do you know what I, I, I was going to call it that and then another comedian Adam Bro called one of his uh, specials that as well so I've called a comedian this year but it's comedian in inverted commas because that's what <laughs> that's what pricks call me every day on Twitter so uh, Twitter people are fun when they have oh, a, love them when they don't have to actually answer to anyone yeah yeah um, so on to the last bit um is I just ask you for a piece of music or a song from a movie that you'd mm-hmm. like to play us out on? What have you chose? So I was gonna play, I was gonna play "You Never Can Tell" from Pulp Fiction mm-hmm. by Chuck Berry, but I have picked what I think, and it was a song I'd never heard before, despite loving them. Uh, and it's uh, Bowie's "Cat People," okay, which is used in uh, "Inglorious Bastards" cool. when uh, she's getting ready and putting all the fuses and stuff behind the cinema screen to burn it down. All right, cool. It's a phenomenal film, and it's one of the best uses of a Bowie song I've ever seen in a film. Excellent. Second Bowie song of this series that I've been doing. Is it? Really? Yeah, but first one was... um, uh, I was doing Lars von Trier, uh-huh. which was hard, hard going by Zoe Rose Smith from The House That Jack Built. Uh, He always replays fame. So oh yeah, yeah, cool. Signed out on fame. So, yeah. Mark Nelson, thanks very much. He says we'll put links to the Twitter and uh, the YouTube and everything on the, the podcast thanks so episode. Much, thanks very much. And this is Bowie with Cat People. See these eyes so green. It's me.
is so blue An ageless heart that can never mend His tears can never dry Judgment made can never bend 